This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Please follow along in your own Bibles, or as the text is presented on the screens above. I will be reading from the New International Version today. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. One of our high schoolers, uh, Charles Pickering, put that little video together that we're showing each week. Uh, It's cool to see that kind of thing around here. The last words of Jesus, according to Matthew, were just read for you. And um, famous last words. Luke has a little different uh, rendition of it. And he talks about, you will be my witnesses, he says to the 11 disciples or apostles, as they became known. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And I thought it might be good to start by showing you where that is on the map and a little story that goes with that. This is uh, Chukotka Peninsula, which is right across from Alaska there. And you'll see... Hey, isn't this cool? I, this is a new toy for me. Uh, <laughs> Nome, there's Nome, and then uh, this is the uh, Chukotka Peninsula. And so when I, when I say Siberia, what does it make you feel? Cold. Yeah, cold, right? So you may be complaining about the weather today, but this is a really cold place. Now, I want to give you a, a picture. This is uh, Luda Kanak from Chukotka. And um, she has a story that uh, I, I, I knew her when I was in Alaska. And... Um, if you guys are okay with this, I'm going to sit down just like you are. You know, it's fair, right? And um, Luda uh, was a young woman raised in Chukaka in a Siberian Eskimo village, is how she would put it. And um, as a child, the radio station in Nome is called, it's KICY. It's a, it's a covenant mission radio station, and some of you know that. But for years, especially during the USSR years, the gospel was broadcast. Um, like they had a name for like this flamethrower into the Soviet North or something. You know, just this huge directional signal that where the gospel was broadcast into that part of. And you have the, we had the native Alaskans and the native uh, Siberians who have shared uh, ancestry. And um, at any rate, there was this kind of thing. And as a child, she heard the gospel on KICY. And she got curious about it. And this was during the USSR years, so it was very much illegal to even be listening to something like that. And uh, as she grew older, into her teenage years, she uh, committed her life to Christ through that gospel message on the radio. But um, she felt like she was the only one in her village of about 200 people who knew anything or were Christian or anything about Christ. 
Until one day when she was in school, a friend of hers had a comic book that had some things in it regarding Jesus Christ. And she asked her friend if she could read that book or borrow that book, that comic book. And no Bibles, you know, it was, that was off limits. But um, her friend said, well, you can ask my mom because it's very secretive, uh, apparently. And if, if she says yes, then it's okay. So she got up the courage to go ask this girl's mom if she could read that comic book about Jesus. She wanted to know more about Jesus. And she said she went very fearfully, not knowing, because the name of Jesus just never got mentioned. And it was like sort of a revolutionary thing to, to say. So she went to that mom and asked if she could uh, read this book about Jesus. And the mom took her in her arms and hugged her and wept. That's how she tells the story. And Luda says, it was kind of weird because I didn't know the depth of all of that at the time. Well, as she grew in Christ, and she did then meet a few other Christians, uh, her own parents disowned her. And she had a, a relative who, uh, I won't go into the details, but twice tried to kill her. And there are also stories of, uh, I, I, I've heard her other story, just amazing stories about Luda. But I want to skip to 2004. She came to Nome. She was recruited. This is after the opening of the Soviet Union and, and well, the Soviet Union fell apart, basically. But there's Russia. And um, there, she was recruited to come there to translate the gospel programs into Russian. And so that's the picture that you see there of Luda. And um, she was there for eight years. And then in 2012, she went back to Chukotka to her people. And she is ministering there, being a blessing to them. And um, she's a wonderful person uh, with a wonderful story. So I wanted to start that. Do you know where the end of the earth is now, right? That's it, right there. At least, you know, if you look on the map where Jesus, when he spoke those words, and then you look, that's about as far away as you can get. So the gospel goes forth. You know that, I'll just throw this in, but you know that there are way more Christians in Asia, South America, and Africa than there are in Europe and the United States or North America. I mean, we're, we're just, we're a very much a minority in the world now, the Christian world. That was not true 100 years ago, but it's not even close now. The average Christian in the world, the, the geographically plotted, is, a, is a, somebody in Peru. It's, it's moved to the global south. That's the center of Christianity. But it is, it is, it continues to spread all over the world. And uh, this passage that Jesus speaks here is uh, one of those propellers or things that gets it going. Uh, it's called the Great Commission. So that's where we're going to be today. I want to put this into the context of following Jesus. We, we've been in the last three weeks, love God passionately, love others deeply last week. And then bless the world radically is where we are today. And we we added all these adverbs, L-Y endings, because we're in the great commandment, love God, love people, and the great commission. And if you've been around Christian places, those words become uh, too familiar sometimes. 
and then we, we've added these adverbs to kind of, you know, give them some oomph so we can hear them differently in a, in a fresh way. But um, we believe that is, and the scriptures would make clear, that's the essence of Jesus' message. Everything kind of comes and finds its place around this. And so we focus here. Um, the Great Commission is the... Uh, would be the one of the main texts, if not the main text, for the bless the world radically. And um, we're going to begin with these three questions, which is where we've been with each of these three sermons. Three questions. What does the text say? What does it mean to bless the world? And then how can we grow? And I'm going to have, I got, I got a couple of stories I'm going to be mixing in here. And Robbie Duff is going to come up at the end and share a story of her blessing the world. And so, okay, uh, what, is it, what does the text say? And um, uh, there's an interesting phrase in here that I want to um, uh, hover over, but let me just read verses 16 and 17. So we remember that this is after the crucifixion of Jesus in roughly 30-ish A.D. And then um, there was, on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And then he had 40 days of walking with around the earth. He made appearances to certain people and to those who had some uh, measure of faith in him, he appeared to. And uh, this is what uh, Matthew says is the last appearance. And so the 11 disciples went to Galilee. uh, That'd be, you know, 90 miles north of Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So he had given them previous instruction. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And but some doubted. And the implication here is that though they all worshiped him, but some doubted. So I want you to hear that. That they, regardless of where they were with their faith, they all worshipped him. But some of them couldn't fully, their, their faith wasn't fully formed. It was still um, incubating. And I, I, I want to hover over this because there are those, that we find ourselves in those places. And here it is. Why bring that up? Why not just say, hey, they were all, they were all in? Well, they weren't all in. We're just being, the scriptures are honest about that. Some of them doubted. They hesitated. They had two minds. They thought, this is the guy that we saw him die and alive, and just, I can't comprehend it. It's too much for me, and I'm just going to have to live with that until it becomes more fully formed. And it does. Doubt is a town that you stop at on the way to faith. And you've got to go through it. Not for everybody. Some just had no problem. But for some, you've got to go through that town. It's not a place you want to spend the rest of your life. But it is a place on the way, and there we go, right there. And this is the foundation of the church and uh, uh, the reason that Luda was able to go to her people and all the rest. It, it's, these are the people that spread the news, and not all of them fully believed. Well, uh, Jesus speaks into their, so I, I want you to hear this, Jesus speaks into their mix of faith and doubt, just like he does today. It's not any different, see? And how does he speak? He speaks with authority, with full conviction, uh, with assurance and confidence. So he, there's nothing in his part, there, you know, it's, it just is. He's, uh, and he speaks to these guys that don't quite have it all there yet. All authority, he says, has in heaven and on earth uh, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I, I, basically, Jesus is saying, I have authority over every people group on the earth. They just don't know it yet. I have authority over the Hindu faith. I have authority over the Muslim faith, which isn't even in the, on the radar yet. That came 600 years later. I mean, you have to trust Jesus here, but we, I can get it. In this room, we have a mixture of doubt and faith, and we're not fully there yet. But Jesus is saying, without any hesitation on his part, I have all authority over everything. <laughs> and he's inviting us to that place. But we have to go at our own speed. He doesn't force that on you. He's just saying what is. He defines reality for us. I have all authority, and then the content of what he says is therefore, this is what he says to us, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he, he breaks that down a little bit. He says, win them over, I'm going to paraphrase, win them over to me, I am good news, win them over to me, and then teach them the things that I have taught you, which is baptizing and then discipling, teaching. That's, that's the thing. He, he lays out the plan right there. And uh, we are, I think, doing that this morning. Uh, that's my hope, anyway. And then he says, this is a, a Trinitarian. We don't find the word Trinity in the Bible. But what we do find is Jesus saying, do that in the name of... Uh, in the Bible, when you see that phrase, in the name of, it means in the full-orbed reality of. The Father, and I'm going to add some words here, the Father who loves you, the Son who shows you that love, and the Spirit who interprets that love to your heart and to others. In the name of the Father, in the reality of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's love from God to the world. And then he makes this promise, I will be with you until the very end of the age. And so Luke focuses in on the geography to the ends of the earth, and Matthew focuses in on the time factor. It's going to just keep going until I come back. So there's the, the promise. Now, I want to give you a picture of this, and this is a, uh, a bit of a story from my own week, actually. Um, how it works, at least in, how it worked in one, in one incident, because I, I want to paint something here that might break it or make it more visible to, um, to us. And this is a tough story. So, uh, when, when I was first a church planter, uh, we had um, a lot of military folks that were part of, of that, that, that came into that church plant. Wonderful to be in that world. And particularly Air Force. Air Force and then Army, but a lot of Air Force officers. And um, we were meeting in a school lunchroom. God did amazing things in a middle school lunchroom. <laughs> Figure that out. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of chaos there as well. But... Um, but this couple came in one day, and um, I remember, t I can still see them. They had just gotten married, and he was a, a lieutenant in the Air Force, and he was flying C-130s. And uh, his I'm just going to give you their names. His name was Reagan, and her name was Deanne. And this would have been in 1996, roughly. 
So what's that, 22 years ago. And you never know when you meet people what, what, what's going to happen. Um, so as they were from the South, in fact, I, <laughs> I was reminded of that this week as I talked to Deanne, and she said, y'all. Um, they're from, very much from the South. And because you're from the Bible Belt doesn't mean you have deep faith. It just means you have faith. And it can be pretty thin. And their faith was pretty thin. And uh, I don't know, my heart, I just kind of spent time with Reagan. And he um, reciprocated. And, you know, it was kind of this friendship, mentorship thing that wasn't clearly defined, but I spent time with him and his faith began to deepen and he ended up volunteering to work with our youth group, which because we were quite small at that time, half of the youth group was our three boys. (laughs) So we would continue, he would ask me these, you know, because when you work with youth, you get asked hard questions and he would ask and I would, you know, we'd get into these, have some coffee time. And um, he, had a, he had a real influence on all three of our boys, but particularly on Sam, who is our youngest. When Sam was 12 years old, uh, Reagan took him duck hunting. And that began a friendship uh, that seemingly was built around duck hunting, but it was way, way beyond that. And... Um, that's, that was some uh, 20 years ago when that duck hunting trip happened and Reagan lived in, he, they moved to Arkansas eventually. And wherever Sam was, whether it was Alaska or Michigan, now he would fly every year and go duck hunting with Reagan. But more importantly, their lives intersected, particularly over the phone. Uh, just a lot of, of influence there. And Reagan became his mentor. I want you to see this, that I just, I don't, I don't, this is how Reagan would tell the story. If he were here, he would say, Mark, he told me this a couple of years ago, you have no idea what it meant to me for you to mentor me, and that's what I have been doing with, your, with Sam. Okay, so Wednesday, we get a phone call that Reagan has been killed in a plane crash. And it was Sam who called. And he was in tears, and it's hard for me to talk about this. Um, His best friend, he called him, his mentor. The person who taught him about life and what it means to be a man and how you treat women and how you follow Jesus Christ had just been killed two hours earlier in a plane crash. And that is where Sam is right now. He is in Arkansas with Deanne, and I talked to her this week. But I want you to hear the cool part. So I spent a little time with Reagan. Reagan spent a lot of time with Sam. Boy, what a gift to parents, you know. And Sam has been spending time with Reagan's boys. So the legacy of Reagan is passed on to Sam and then on to his sons. You see how how it works here? And this has been going on for 2,000 years. I can't pick, I mean, that's my picture of how this thing works. Now there's Luda another picture of how this thing works. And you have stories as well. But is God, is, was Jesus telling the truth when he said, my father is always working, you see. My father who loves 
He loves all people. And that comes through the evidence we have with Jesus and the Spirit who helps us to understand that love. All right. There's a, I, 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 that's my best to give a picture of what that text is saying, and um, I pray that the Spirit will <laughs> interpret it for you as well. What does it mean? And I want to give you just a little bit of, of theology here. Uh, so I'm going to back up a bit. And when theologians, when they read this text, they, will call, they call it something. They have a title for it. So just as we've called this New Testament text, um, they call it the Great Commission. They, they see it as an echo of an Old Testament text. And I'm going to read that for you. And it's called the Cultural Mandate or the Creation Mandate. So let me read that from Genesis chapter 1. And I think you'll hear the echoes as I read this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now here's the part, verse 28 of chapter 1 of Genesis. So this is, this is before the world got broken, folks. So, you know, we have to hear it in a way that um, isn't, isn't tainted by all the things that we see in our world. But God blessed them. So the first thing that God does with humans is he blesses them. It's very good. God is a blessing God. We are blessed through Jesus Christ. But right in the Bible, first thing in the Bible that humans experience with God is a blessing from him. And here's how he blesses them. He says to them, and there's two things that he, he blesses them with and gives them both authority and some responsibility for. Be fruitful and increase or multiply in number. Fill the earth. Uh, and then the second thing is to subdue it and to rule over it and have dominion over it. So let me, let me just, a little comment there, and I'll, then I'll relate it back to the Great Commission that we've just looked at with Jesus. To be fruitful and to multiply in the Old Testament, it was pretty clear what it meant. And I'll just be a little bit crass and say it meant have sex and have babies and be fertile and fill the earth. And, you know, uh, we have a lot of people on the earth right now, so that, I guess have in some ways done that. Uh, yeah. So that was the first part, and it's very, but it's very much to be, it's to be heard in that way. That's what it meant when it, to, to them. The second part is to uh, take care of the earth. So this is the, the first environmentalist statement is from God. Take care of it. Don't, don't, don't mess it up. Don't pollute it, basically. So we have a, real, uh, a lot of confessing to do on, on that score. Um, and, yeah, it gets under, undervalued, but it's God's word. Well, um, the, that's the creation mandate. So I want, let's go back to the Great Commission. When, I want you to think of Jesus saying, be fruitful and multiply. What is, he, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, go and make disciples. And, you know, win them over and teach them everything I've taught you. That's his way of saying, be fruitful and multiply. This is what, how theologians link these two passages together. And this is called, Jesus is, the Great Commission is often called uh, the, the new creation mandate. So we have the creation mandate given in Genesis 1, 27, 28, and now we have the new creation mandate given in Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. Now here's, here's the twist to it, that, uh, an implication of it. There's just one, but there, it's important to hear. 
in the, in the first, in the creation mandate, be fruitful and multiply meant what? Have, yeah, I, do I have to say it again? Have sex, yeah. Have, have babies, be fertile. And that's why in the Old Testament, it was such a disgrace for particularly women, but couples who couldn't have children. You see that in the stories of Sarah and Hannah and others. It was, it was just really, really hard because you didn't feel like you were blessed. You felt like you were cursed. You're not living with God's blessing. You're living with a curse. And how do you reconcile that? Very, very, yeah, the Bible is very clear or um, um, those pictures, there's just a lot of sadness in those stories. So when you get to Jesus' the New Testament or the new creation mandate, being fruitful and multiplying is about winning people to Christ. See, what I'm saying is Luda is single, but she can be fruitful and multiply. That's probably the best way I can say it. And it elevates single people, and it, and it takes away at least some of that stigma. I know it's really hard. I've, I have close friends, two really close couple friends who have not been able to have kids naturally. So it's, uh, it's that, I don't want to say that pain has gone away, but I do want to say that Jesus elevates something there, that you can still be fruitful and multiply. And this is the, the new creation mandate. Okay, how are we doing on time? Robbie, are you ready? Okay, uh, come on up here. And as you come up, I want to ask just a, a couple of questions of, of the hearts of all those here. Um, I'm, I'll sit down here in just a sec, and you, I'll give you the microphone. But do you believe that Jesus is right when he says, my father is always working? Because it's really important to answer that. With you know, your mix of faith and doubt, but try to grab onto that question and answer it the best you can. And another one would be, are you open to a prayer that you might say every day, Lord, how might I be a blessing to someone today? Okay? Just a very simple question. We put that one out here before. How can I be a blessing to someone today? Just be open to it. And that's the story. Uh, now this, we're talking about, uh, let's see, what's our, what's our uh, bless the world radically. Does this look like a radical? Does this, I mean, this is, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, maybe her husband, Bruce, could, I, I don't know, but when I think radical, Robbie, I don't, I, but you're not the first name that comes to my mind. But um, you have a story, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's a sized story that I think is good in that it, it's just something, it was a step that you had to take, or it wouldn't have happened, and so just tell us about that. So a couple years ago, when my youngest uh, was heading off to college, Lori Bennell approached me, her oldest was heading off to college, and said, hey, there's this idea that's a great idea. You get some women together, and you all bring, you know, like a $3 item for as many kids as we have in the group, So, and we send care packages off to our college students. And I think that'd be a great idea, and you should totally do it. I'm like, I didn't really resonate with that right away. I I, I wondered and I kind of stewed and then decided, I think I was nudged by the Holy Spirit, do this. So I threw an email out there with people in my different circles who had kids who were heading off to college and said, would you like to do this with me? And there was a great response and I was a little surprised by that. Um, So about three times a year, this 
group of about 10 women got together. We had, I think, maybe 12 college students between us, and we were able to put together these care packages for our students. But what became really evident was it wasn't about the stuff. It was about the connection Mm -hmm. and uh, that this was a platform for us to support one another as we were supporting our emerging adults. Can I ask a question here? So these are are not necessarily people who are Christian. um, Right, right. um, But they have a sense of being disconnected more than you thought. Correct. Right, very much so. So these are people who are, I knew from PTA, people in my neighborhood, different groups I'm involved with. So they didn't necessarily all know one another. And, but the thing that we had in common was this need to connect over this issue of our emerging adults and the transition there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So then at the end of our, our kids' freshman year in college, I sort of said, well, this is, we've done this and you seem interested, should we, should we do it again? And I was a little surprised. There was a resounding yes. We need to do this again. We need to do this the next year. Um, so we invited a few more women in and continued for our kids' sophomore year in college. And my son is now entering his junior year and I thought, I think we're done with this. <laughs> our, our students are now in apartments, they're living in houses. Um, but I was approached by a woman in my neighborhood who said, you're going to do it again, right? We have to do this. And so we opened it up to some more women who have kids coming into school. And so I was really surprised by that. I was surprised by the need. Yeah. We don't always see the need, do we? Right. And how, so you had, there was a little bit of risk there, right, for you. How would you describe that? Like, I'm going to ask and they're going to say no or what? Um, well, I think... Is there really interest? Is this something that we really wanted to want to do? And um, so that was yeah, a bit of a risk. Yeah, a, a very small one, but a bit of a risk and a little bit of time. It doesn't take a lot, but it does take a little bit of organization. Yeah. And where do you see it going from here? Um, well, we're going to continue this year, and I think um, probably next year as well. And what I see is that now the women with incoming freshmen. For four years, they'll continue this as well. And it's not about the stuff, but our students really, really enjoy the packages. And it's a great way to connect the students back to their home. They're trying on maybe different values and trying on different hats mm-hmm. as they are, these emerging adults. And it's a great way to just say, hey, we're here. Yeah. We support you. And you're getting to know your friends, neighbors better yes. in the process. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. I wanted to... Uh, now, what, a couple of things there. One is I, I just want to say that, that it, that's pretty... Um, is that radical? Well, it's, it's not radical except if you live in Seattle and nobody talks to you. <laughs> you know. then, it, then it's pretty radical. It's a way of showing love, and we don't know where the future is, but you don't get to those places where you can do the winning people to Jesus and the teaching them what Jesus says without starting with just asking the question, how can I bless someone today? That's the point. And you trust that the Father, your your heavenly Father who loves everyone, is working um, before you even think about it or who that person is. So as you go to your places today, the grocery store or the neighborhood or the workplace tomorrow, wherever it is, would you just ask that question, Lord, who can I see today 
I mean, I want to see them as, just in a different way. I want to see them in a way that you see them. And bless them. Lord, show me who it is. Maybe it's somebody I don't see yet on my radar, but who is that person? So let's, let's just close in prayer and uh, put this before our Lord who loves us. I want each of us just to ask your Father, if you will, ask the Father in heaven who is always at work to show you maybe someone in your orbit, in your, or who is in your orbit, in a uh, friend, a neighbor, uh, workmate, whatever, uh, someone at school, someone that you might bless, someone that you might see in the image of God and bring a blessing to. And if you know you're in that place, that mix of faith and doubt, that's that's uh, real uh, for, for really for I, I think for all of us. Um, allow Jesus to speak into that place. Especially if this is a tough time and you're stuck in that, that little town called doubt. To move you on, to step out, to take that next step and trust in His love and His promises. Oh Lord, look into our hearts and see what's real and hear our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to also invite anyone who has a prayer request. Maybe it's courage to take a next step. Maybe it's something like a friend that, like my story this week, that's very painful. Um, Maybe you've heard God speak to you this morning, whatever it is. But there will be people up here that would love to pray with you. So consider. I invite you to stand as we respond in worship together. Exemplifies what it looks like um, to bless the world in radical and lavish ways. So let's just sing a song as a declaration of who He is, as a prayer for Him to shape our hearts, to reflect the love that we receive from Him. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Oh, we live for you, holy. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you.
of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever Above every other, Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Live for you, don't we live for you?
couple of things as we go. One is that as you go out, you're going to receive a quarterly communication from Pine Lake Covenant Church about what's going on here, particularly with our Accelerate the Vision campaign, but there's other stuff in there as well. So we'll get that on the way out. Secondly, uh, we have a Mod Pizza invitation today. If you're still around or if you'd like to join us for lunch, probably around 12.15 down at the Mod Pizza by Safeway. There's that. And then there's people up here that would still love to pray with anyone. They'll be here for a little bit longer, so consider that as well. Uh, the promise of Jesus is that he will be with us even till the end of, of the age, meaning that day when he will come back. And don't you long for the kind of making everything right? I know we don't maybe think about what it all means, but just making everything right. That would be a good thing. All right, so look forward to that day. Go in the name of Jesus. Amen.